Scott Flegelman calls pickleball his back-to-the-future sport as he uses his experience as an endurance athlete in preparing for senior pro tournament events. He talks about his magical weekend at the U.S. Open, where he had the chance to play with one of the best players in the world. Scott also gives some of the best tips I've heard when it comes to getting the best from your pickleball partner. Let's get to the intro to hear from Scott. Welcome to the Pickleball Fire Podcast, where it's all about pickleball. Today, I'd like to welcome to the Pickleball Fire Podcast, Scott Flegelman. Welcome, Scott. Thank you, Lynn. You know, I'm so glad you could join me today. You were a fellow presenter at the Pickleball Summit that occurred a few weeks ago, and I really wanted to have you on the podcast because I know you've got a lot of great instructional instructional aspects of pickleball that you can talk about. But before we get there, I just want to start with, tell me a little bit about how you started playing pickleball and how long ago that was? It seems like quite a long time, but it's really only about 25 months. I started in the summer of 2019. I had grown up on the tennis court and played competitive tennis through college and professionally through my late 20s. And then moving to Boulder, Colorado, I got enticed into more of the endurance sports scene and and stopped playing tennis and then pickleball got me back onto the court two years ago, and I like to refer to it as my back to the future sport. Your back to the future sport. I I love that. So tell me, explain that a little bit for people. Well, I think, you know, perhaps I was feeling a little pull to get back to tennis, but it was just a bridge too far. You know, the, the level I had left off at in the late 90s, there was no way I was going to get back there. And Pickleball just, you know, provided a solution to some of those, you know, court desires, but in a much more futuristic way. So that's how I, that's how I view it. Well, you know, I, it sounds like you did spend quite a few years as a endurance athlete. I'm curious as to, cause I really haven't talked to many endurance athletes on the podcast. So I'm curious, you know, what is it from, you know, those sports that you, that you actually do bring to the pickleball court? There, the obvious ones you know, are a level of, of fitness, cardiovascular fitness in, in general, and just feeling fit and, and ready for tournament play, which, as you know, is, is, you know, can be, if you're going to advance to the medal rounds, can be a really long day with, with several matches. I, I do also compete in singles as well as mixed and, and men's doubles. And you know, singles, the fitness aspect is, is even greater. But beyond that, I think the real difference for me, yeah, I guess I would call it tournament preparation. You know, I wish in my tennis days, I had the level of preparation and training that I learned, you know, through my 20 years in endurance sport. When a tournament rolls around now, I feel well prepared. You know, I've set myself a goal. I've gone out and done all of the on and off court work to be able to attain that goal. And I used to have a saying when I coached endurance sport athletes that when you're pre-recorded for success, just press play. And that, that worked beautifully for endurance sport. And I've carried that over into pickleball that that level of preparation gives me the confidence you know, that I need when I step onto the court. You know, I, I love that because I think so many players, especially those that, you know, you know, come from the recreational play or maybe a little bit lower level they probably don't really know a, a lot about, 
you know, prepping for a tournament in a systematic way, which I believe is what you're probably alluding to. Can you go ahead and, you know, go into a, a bit more in depth, you know, in some details of what your tournament prep does involve? Sure. As, as I mentioned, I play singles and I've had some success um, in, in the senior pro ranks, but I was finding that my body, you know, was accustomed to four aft movement as a triathlete, you know, runner and cyclist and the lateral movement, you know, I, I could only fake it, you know, for so long. So I've had to, I've had to hit the gym and I've, I've had to strengthen my body for explosiveness and resilience and, you know, dynamic movement and such that we need to do in all of pickleball, but especially singles. But then, you know, I also pay closer attention to my diet and hydration needs as a tournament is getting closer. And, you know, throughout the day at, at a tournament, I, I feel like it's an advantage for me to stay on top of those, need, those needs as well as replacing electrolytes and just not breaking down throughout the day as much as uh, many of my competitors do. Great. You know, I love that aspect about kind of the diet and the hydration, because again, that's something we haven't talked a lot about on the podcast. You know, what what is your method of hydrating and how you do that and how often? Well, it does start in the days leading up to a tournament, especially if it's going to be a warm tournament. I, I you know, was fortunate to play my first U.S. Open this past April and left my home of Boulder, Colorado. It was 28 degrees and snowing and, and landed in Naples in the mid 80s with a thousand percent humidity. And that was a shock to the system. But, you know, I had begun probably a week out paying closer attention to my diet, increased sodium and electrolytes through natural foods, as well as replenishing, you know, some jigsaw health products and, you know, in my drinks. And when I was playing, I'm just making sure to stay topped off with, with hydration and electrolytes. It was still very difficult to adapt in 24 hours when I landed in Florida to get ready for singles play. But I feel like I did the best I could just not being in, in, you know, a similar climate. And how did that all work out for you with the U.S. Open? It was a magical week, Lynn. I had planned on, so, you know, this was two years in the making. I was expecting to play the previous year. Of course, the event didn't happen due, due to COVID. So I, I split my time as a, as a pickleball coach, and I also coordinate the pickleball business for Babolat, a 145-year-old tennis company, which we can talk about more if you'd like. So I had planned on only working the booth for Babolat and entered one bracket, the uh, senior pro men's singles. Um, that was the first day, and I had a really good run, including a victory over Paul Olin, who, you know, at the time and probably still is the number one senior pro player. And then I, I was two points away from the gold medal match, lost 11-9 in the third. I have since avenged that loss to a really good player named Mark Paul. So that was about, that was it. You know, I came in fifth and, and had a great, great experience. But the next morning, while kind of convalescing from the day before, I'm in bed. And my phone rang and it was, you know, one of the top ranked open pro players in the world, Jay DeVillier. And he gave me 90 minutes notice as his partner for men's pro split age was had a last minute conflict and couldn't make. So I rushed out of bed. I, I, I said to Jay, yeah, I think I can arrange to, to be there. And we played a really fun event. I don't um, know if you know too many of your listeners have, are aware of the event, but it was uh, a pro under 50 and a pro over 50. There was a men's event as well as a mixed. And it was really fun to play. And I think the uh, the spectators really enjoyed it. We did drop our first match and then we went on a, a tear and and won four matches against some of the top players in the world. And, you know, I got to be on the court against 
Joey Farias and Tyson McGuffin and Adam Stone. And it was a terrific experience with a couple of wins against uh, some of those guys. And then I thought my tournament was over, you know, from there. But then Dave Fleming's partner couldn't make it last minute. And he asked me to play men's doubles with him. And, and we won four matches. And I got my first experience with the center court at the U.S. Open, which was which was fabulous. And I got eight minutes of live stream exposure, which my mom certainly enjoyed watching. And, uh, and then I thought I was done and mixed doubles was the next day. I was out at a Mexican restaurant the night before, and I ran into senior pro standout John Sperling in the men's room. And as we were chatting, walking out of the men's room, he asked who I was playing mixed doubles with the next day. I said, I didn't have a partner. Long story short, John and uh, his friend Lee Whitwell reached out to Jane Paulson who had also uh, lost her partner at the last second. And we got to play together the next day, had a blast, won, won several matches. And, you know, just, it was a terrific week in addition to my responsibilities at the Babylon booth. You know, that's such a crazy experience. <laughs> and it's, it's amazing that all the pickleball you got in quite unexpectedly and uh, serendipitously, I guess I should say. I would agree. I don't know if the stars will align quite like that again, but I feel really, uh, really grateful for the experience. Yeah. Starting with that first wake up call, right? From Jay. That was pretty good. <laughs> well, all right. I mean, it sounds like you've, I mean, it's actually a really good thing that you had been working on your hydration because you weren't really expecting to play all that. I, I, I believe you're right. Yeah. And having that, getting that singles out of the way early, I think my body was ready to go for doubles the rest of the week. The other thing that you mentioned was you're in the booth for Babolat. Tell me a little bit about kind of your role with Babolat and, you know, their foray into pickleball. Sure. Well, as I mentioned briefly, you know, we're almost 150-year-old um, racket sport known for quite some time for our tennis racket strings. But for the past 20 plus years, we've been in the tennis racket footwear, badminton business as well. We're approximately two years into the pickleball business, which is about when I came uh, on board. And I work with an amazing team in a range of different capacities. So I'm the pickleball coordinator, you know, for everything that we do, including product development and sales and marketing events. And then I head up our ambassador squad known as the Rebellion. We have 45 fantastic players around the country who are influential in their pickleball community, ranging from, you know, three, five to, to five Oh plus player. And, and that's, that's been the, the bulk of our, our marketing focus is just to get those players um, out on the court with, with bags of demos and also shoes and, and spread the word organically through the courts, you know, have a, a presence, a really cool presence at the U S open. And we're also involved with some of the APP tour events, but in general, we're focusing on on our grassroots efforts in you know the early stages, and it's working out great so far. So, in terms of offerings for pickleball paddles, what what does Babolat have? We now have seven paddles in the marketplace, ranging from seventy nine dollars to one hundred and thirty nine dollars. Our latest paddle um, that's come out that's super popular right now is the Monster. And we have we have two, the Monster Power at 8.1 ounces and the Monster Touch, which is a nice light and nimble 7.2 ounces. And what's making it, you know, I feel a really terrific paddle in a range of players' hands is we borrowed some technology from 
our tennis rackets called smack, which is a viscoelastic rubber material in our rackets that's used to mitigate tennis elbow issues. And it does the same in our paddles, but it all has effectively expanded the sweet spot so that, you know, we've all had that sinking feeling when we are at the kitchen or even a, a third shot drop and we hit the ball toward the top of the paddle. And it just doesn't go quite as far as we want it to go. A lot of that has to do with the vibration. And the monster paddles don't vibrate as much as others. And as such, I think we get the distance control that we're looking for, even when we miss the the very center of the Oh, yeah, perfect. I mean, the, that vibration can be an absolute killer. I know, you know, I don't have so much of a ta- tennis background, but more of a racquetball background. And you're still, you know, even with a, a strong racket, you're always fighting that vibration. Well, all right. So which paddle do you actually use? So I am using the Monster Power starting at the U.S. Open is is when I converted to that paddle. And I'm using it for both singles and doubles. For doubles, I do add a little bit of lead tape to the top of the paddle, which gives me a little bit more of a head-heavy feel, a little bit more like a tennis racket. Due to the demands of singles, you know, we need to hit a few more ground strokes, a few more passing shots, whereas in doubles, you know, we really just need to be at the non-volley zone line. So there's not a whole lot of, of ground stroking going on. So I, I play with the regular weight, um, 8.1 ounce monster power for doubles. All right. Well, one of the things I want to do before we finish up the interview is anytime I have on a pickleball pro, I always love to talk about an instructional topic. And uh, actually, you, you've already hit on a number of things that I think people will will kind of enjoy, like the tournament preparation. But what what do you want to talk about today in relationship to pickleball and, and your uh, partner? Yeah, as you mentioned, I thought I might offer something a little out of the ordinary as far as an instructional tip. You know, we can really focus on you know, the mechanics or shot selection or things like that. But, you know, given that most all pickleball players play doubles, I thought I might offer uh, something under the subject of how to get the best from your partner. I do, you know, in playing as well as as teaching a a lot, you know, see a lot of eye rolling, negative body language from partners when when their partner do what they'd like them to do, and that's likely not to not likely not going to be the recipe for improved play, you know, for both of you. So a couple of suggestions that I like to do is especially if I have a new partner, before we even begin the match, I said, could we get the preemptive sorries out of the way now? And usually I get a little chuckle and I say, look, we're both going to dump balls into the net. We're both going to hit a couple of stupid shots. So why don't we just say sorry now to each other? And then we can just skip that the rest of the day. And that usually works, you know, helps keep things positive. When my partner, you know, would occasionally, you know, dump a ball into the net or, you know, hit a put away two inches long, I frequently will say, hey, you make nine out of 10 of those, you know, go for it again. Just giving them the confidence that, you know, I, you know, that was an aberration and you know, they should feel comfortable hitting that shot again and not necessarily playing it safe. When my partner, you know, maybe falls into a lull of, of, of dropping a lot of thirds into the, I might, you know, say something along the lines of, hey, how about, you know, we try both dropping a little too high or a little too long as opposed to into the net. Because we can play some scrappy defense and, you know, move in on the fifth or the seventh or the ninth shot. Our our thirds don't have to be perfect. And, you know, for both my partner and for me, I think it just gives us that little added margin for error with our thirds. As long as we don't go sprinting in behind our, 
our thirds, you know, without regard for the quality of it, we can always hang out on the baseline and, you know, try again on the fifth or the seventh. And then, you know, I, I really am a big fan of paddle, paddle taps between every point, just kind of brings the, the players together, a little bit of, of good uh, juju in between points. And, you know, maybe lastly, just using timeouts for strategic adjustments as necessary. You know, I love all those tips and how specific they were. And, uh, you know, it must have been a challenge for you at the U.S. Open because you unexpectedly played, you know, a, a bunch of doubles matches with probably players you may have never played with. I mean, did you use all those tips when you were actually playing at the U.S. Open for doubles? I'm pretty sure I did. You know, I can say, you know, at the at the recent Great Plains Regional, I was playing, you know, with a mixed partner. And, you know, I definitely know, and both of us were hitting thirds into the net. So it wasn't even necessarily advice for her. I said, how about if we both, you know, try being willing to miss our thirds a little long or a little high, as opposed to a little low and a little short. And and that worked out well for us. We we won the 50 plus division at, at the recent regionals. So, so that was great. And you know, certainly the same at the US Open. I'd never played with any of my partners. And I think some of these tips probably came out onto the court and, and worked out well for us. Well, congratulations on your finish there at the regionals. And, you know, the third point you made about, you know, hitting the third shot drops into the net. I, I think that's such great advice. I was having exactly the same problem when I was uh, playing last week in California. And it's just like I could not get the ball over the net. And uh, I think that's such a such a great line. And and I would, you know, even say that to my partner next time about, hey, you know, I'm going to hit a little high because I'm having troubles. And so, yeah, we just need to play good defense. I, I love it. I think that's such a great and smart tip. I'm glad. All right. Well, I definitely learned something today. So I, I'm hoping and pretty sure that the audience will, too. But just to finish up, I just want to ask you a couple more questions because you are a coach and instructor. So I don't know if you are largely teaching just in the uh, Boulder area or, you know, if it's across the state or the country. So just give an idea where people can reach out to you if if they want. Sure. Uh, a couple of different places. So Boulder Pickleball is, you know, the name of my personal uh, coaching business. It's boulderpickleball.net. And then I have the Facebook and Instagram handles as, as Boulder Pickleball. I'm also the head pickleball pro at Boulder Country Club. And we've got a a brand new program and we're painting over some tennis courts and, you know, just getting the member, the memberships already fired up on pickleball. So it's just a great time to be helping out with that club. I did get to be one of four teaching pros at the U S open Academy, which was a really great, you know, teaching opportunity the day before the U S open this past year, coordinated by my friend, Nancy Robertson, who brought in Joey Farias, Irina Tereschenko, Tyler Loong, and I got to be the fourth teaching pro. So that was some pretty good company that year. This past year, I hope to, hope to have the chance to do it again. All right. Well, that's so cool. Yeah, definitely uh, would look forward to you doing that again. And, you know, if there is anybody in the uh, Boulder area, it sounds like you do a lot of teaching there. And I mean, I could just tell from this interview that you're <laughs> you're a pro you're a wonderful teacher and instructor. So Anyways, Scott, I do appreciate you being on the Pickleball Fire podcast, and uh, thank you so much for all the good information. Thanks, Lynn. It was super fun. Thank you for listening to the Pickleball Fire podcast. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to give it a five-star review on Apple iTunes.